0: welcome to Too deep Hokies under the influence my name is Pete Berthod and my co-host is Robbie Dowling Virginia Tech beat Duke 31 to 14. Robbie how you feeling
1: uh pretty good coming off of uh, the Odu game pretty much anything would have been uh, better than what we saw on the field uh, for that so um I'm feeling pretty excited we got a big game coming up so I can uh I can't ask for any more this week
0: yeah, man, I am feeling real good. You can probably hear it in both of our voices, just a, just an octave higher, a little bit more enthusiasm. Give us a cheers, man. So my cheers is going to go to a couple different places, but really just
1: the resiliency of Hokie Nation and what we um, always are amazed by what we end up getting from, um, from people both in terms of support and how many showed up at the Duke game. And uh, there were a ton of fans there after a really horrible loss. Uh, the donations that all came in—we'll get to that in a second—but uh, despite uh, everything else, I think the uh, donation fundraise on an off cycle, as I kind of characterize it, was pretty spectacular. And seeing people still be supportive of the program, but Hokies—they—they they never really let the team down, you know, no matter what. And we always find a way to kind of get past a tough game and move forward, and have high hopes for the future. So. Just cheers to to the amount of support that the team uh, and the fans gave to the team and the program in uh, in what was a kind of a tough week. I would put a, put it that way.
0: Cheers. Yeah, it was a really tough week, and I was amazed by the fan support in Durham. I guess I shouldn't be. We've always kind of taken over that stadium, but. After Old Dominion, you would have thought a lot of people would have sold their tickets or said, I'm not making the trip or whatever. And the place was packed with Hokies. You could hear Let's Go Hokies most of the night. And when you looked at the stadium, it was mostly orange and maroon and a bunch of empty blue seats.
1: Yeah, I was was blown away, especially since Duke was having a really good year.
0: Let's start with our news and notes. AP polls out and we are back in. Virginia Tech is number 24 in the AP poll, and our upcoming opponent, Notre Dame, is number six after moving up a couple spots with their win over Stanford. Miami is number 17. They actually moved back a spot despite playing pretty well over the last few weeks and crushing North Carolina. And NC State entered the rankings. If we're talking about ACC teams, they are now number 23. The SP Plus moved us up 18 spots to number 35. We started the season at 34, beat FSU and stayed at 34, and now we're back up to 35 despite losing to ODU. It's an interesting ride we've had in SP Plus, but the ceiling and the floor for this team is is pretty wide. And I think 35 is somewhere in that middle range. It's probably about right at this point. Frank Beamer is getting a monument. And it's being unveiled this weekend at Lane Stadium. That is pretty awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, the last uh, major monument that uh, was in the news uh, that way was not the, the the best news. So I'm glad to see this is going the opposite way. It's uh, staying up rather than being pulled down. Yeah, so, the, yeah. <laughs> we I know go. What back. You're referring to, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, really cool. He can't be celebrated enough, and the fact that he continues to do so much for the program between the commercials, the drive for 25. I mean, he could easily just go kind of ride into the sunset. He has his own private box. Uh, Obviously, he deserves at least that much. He could just kind of show up for games and be excited for him. But now he still keeps trying to help out the program and do all these promos and everything. And I just think that's really, um, it's really awesome. And I think we can, any way we can reward him would be great. And uh, I know, I know what you're going to go with this but i think the the frank and hank is the biggest promo that they can put out there
0: oh yeah i the the tweet that they put out or the message with frank giving a pep talk to the team after odu with hank there that was fantastic
1: <laughs> yeah so i, <laughs> I i'm hank excited is the star
0: of the show these days as <laughs> frank will always put it vt basketball got a four-star commitment today from anthony harris a guard he is number 64 on the 247 composite choosing us uh, over many schools including duke really nice commitment for buzz and the guys it seems like a while since we've heard anything about commitments uh for basketball. just coaches leaving and prospects changing the teams they're committed to but now we get a really nice four star commitment for buzz
1: yeah and there was there was even talk about you know when some of those assistants were leaving what it actually meant for buzz and the program. It seems like we're still on solid ground and he's going to keep riding this wave, um, for Virginia tech. And right now, um, I think you, most people should feel pretty confident given what he's bringing to the table and the rankings that VT is showing up at. Um, he took a program in the doldrums of not being very good. And especially in a basketball conference and, has really turned it into what what some are calling just a top 20 program at this point, which is pretty astounding when you really think about where it's come from and where it's gotten to. So I I can't see anybody um, not feeling really great about the program and what we can do this year.
0: Yeah, barring any major setbacks, we should be ranked in the top 25 when the initial basketball poll comes out. And we finished last in the ACC, what, four years in a row before Buzz showed up and one year that he was here. So major strides, major, major strides. And uh, this is just one more rung on the ladder here with another commitment from a four-star. Let's give our final shout out for the donations that we got for the drive for 25, a bunch of people clicked on our link and donated. And we just wanted to recognize those people real quick.
1: Yeah. So we ended up raising about $1,500, uh, for the uh, drive for 25, which is, you know, pretty incredible for, for a couple of schleps that run a podcast. So, um, and people threw it in. So I'll, Quickly run through it. some of these names we said last week, but I want to give everybody their fair due and make sure we don't miss anybody. So Jonathan Thomas, Steph Vasiloff, Andrew Lohman, Andy Pratt, Norman Farley, uh, Pete Berthod's on here. So good job, uh, Pete, uh, for making a donation. I'm on here as well. Yeah. Uh, William uh, Fursell. Sorry, that's probably definitely wrong. Andrew Shoemate. Mike Tizard, Leon Graves, or Lynn Graves, I should say, Andrew Mason, and our our very own Joe Lanza, actually threw us a donation uh, for uh, Very cool of Joe yeah, yes. for he comes on the podcast uh, pretty often, and we're appreciative of, uh, of
0: that as well. so Thank you. Thank you very much to everyone that donated in the name of <laughs> Two Deeps podcast. It was cool to see our name on the leaderboard, and we hung in there for a little while. Uh, hoping to get in that top five spot, but uh, came up a little short. Nevertheless, a lot of good money donated for the program. Um, thanks again. Let's do this game recap. We did see Daniel Jones start the game. <laughs> Even though I said it would probably be irresponsible of them to play him three weeks after a clavicle injury, they didn't listen to me, <laughs> and they started him anyway. And I have to say, you wouldn't have known he was hurt. No. He might have chosen to not take a read option, or two, because, and we'll never know, but he looked perfectly healthy and was playing pretty well at the beginning of that game.
1: Yeah, and throughout the game, he actually turned it on a little bit towards the end of the third quarter, early fourth quarter, so he actually sustained it, too, um, which was impressive. I mean, he's a pretty big dude, so, uh, you know, he's definitely tough and can can fight through some stuff, but, I mean, I wouldn't have want to had our our quarterback out there if uh, we were riding a season... The way that Duke was coming off of uh you know their first few games and doing really well.
0: Yeah. After a failed fake punt in our first drive, Reggie Floyd got an interception of a lateral deflection. It was the first interception for Duke on the year, and that led to three points on the field goal by Johnson. Duke came right back with a touchdown on the nice throw by Jones. We responded with a 76-yard nine play drive that ended with the 27-yard TD pass to Hazleton to start the second quarter. We added one more touchdown before the half on the amazing catch-and-run by Keene, 67 yards, and that drive started on our 13-yard line. But that play by Keene was just unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and the the juke that he made in order to try and make that happen, and it was down the sideline, and then the block from Kuma, which was, uh, you know, that was some... Uh, <laughs> It was kuma Yes. That's
0: the punishment he likes to give out.
1: Yeah, so that play was incredible.
0: That made it 17-7 at the half. We scored again five minutes into the third quarter on the six-yard run by Stephen Peoples. Duke scored their final TD of the night with the punch-in by Deion Jackson at the start of the fourth. That was 24-14, but we added one more score, made it 31-14, TD pass to Patterson, and that pass and catch was pretty spectacular.
1: Yeah, I think um the, well, we'll get into what my thoughts are on the wide receivers, but yeah, you know, if Patterson is is the is the name that's coming up, there are three others that can come up even more uh, more commonly and I think that it, the depth is really starting to show um in how much the ball's getting spread around. I know Hazelton seems like he's getting every other
0: pass, but if you look at the stats, it's actually getting spread around pretty dramatically. The final was 31-14 an amazing response by this team. As you said, right off the, right off the bat of the podcast after last weekend, we didn't know how this team was going to respond. We knew it was a huge test, not only for the team, but for Fuente and the coaching staff to write this ship. They had to kick a really good player off the team right after a devastating loss. Potentially you could lose the locker room after something like that. And that did not happen. Not even close. And Again and again, Fuente proves after a tough loss, losing guys on both sides of the ball, dismissals, that he is a fantastic coach. Yeah,
1: and you have, um, you know, hopping right into it, Ryan Willis in his first like true start, um, and he impressed me. The way he threw the ball was extremely impressive. Seven for t- 17 for 27, three passing touchdowns, 332 yards, and he hasn't thrown an interception yet. Uh, I mean... What more could you ask for somebody that's coming in after you're starting, you know, uh, assumed starting quarterback and then, you know, elected starting quarterback. And, you know, you think you're going to be riding the pine for a period of time and you come in and, and have a start like that. Um, and his stats are, you know, Josh Jackson's were, were good. They're not amazingly different i think but i think the position he got put in was even more stressful and you know you talk about a 58 percent completion percentage versus 62 i understand the opponents that we went up against are kind of mixed depending on how you want to look at that but uh it's been it's been pretty impressive
0: for for him i mean they both played an acc road game against tough teams you could say doe campbell is a little bit more of an intimidating environment which i would agree agree with they both played part of William and Mary, and they both played part of ODU. So there's the completions and the attempts, the yards, that's all very similar. But some of the decision making and some of the throws that came from Willis. Um, he had his mistakes too. There were some decisions that were poor. But I just felt overall the performance we've gotten from Willis so far has been better. And I don't want to every good word we say about Willis doesn't have to be a knock on Josh Jackson. I'm ecstatic that our quarterback played well in an ACC road game and looked very good for the most part doing it. Um, And if that is an improved on the efficiency that we were getting, even better. It's not a knock on Josh. It's just the way that it is. Speaking to that, Willis had a 96.3 QBR that was higher than any one of Josh Jackson's 16 starts. So... As of right now, that is the best game of the last two years played by a quarterback was what Willis just put on the field. 332 yards and three touchdowns. And he's got a 92.8 QBR on the year, which if he was qualified would be the fifth highest in the NCAA above Will Greer. So it is a small sample size, but let's get it straight. He played very well.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I, I noticed a lot more it felt like a lot more deep balls and some of these things are hard to like kind of compare between different games. So uh, luckily I have to run all the stats on it. So his completion percentage on passes like 10 to 19 yards, which is how I break it up um, was a lot higher than Josh Jackson's. Interestingly, Josh Jackson's deep throws beyond 19 yards, his completion percentage is a lot higher, but I think the most telling is and take this until I get to the very end because it's pretty astonishing. Willis has a 38% completion percentage on first down. Josh Jackson was 73%, but Willis is 80% on third down. That's remarkable. Uh, That is, is uh, that is a really high number, which just adds to the pressure component of being in, you know, your first start and being in a game where the, the quarterback just got knocked out and you're having to hop in there. Um, That's, that's not easy to do on third down. So other than that, a lot of their stats are pretty equal, but I think that gives, um, you know, a lot of upside maybe for for Ryan Willis and what we would see this year.
0: Now, to go the other way and, you know, maybe knock Willis a bit, he had a cleaner pocket than Josh had maybe in any game. They kept him so clean in the Duke game, and Duke doesn't have a very ferocious defensive line. Hornbuckle is good. They've got a deep line. But that line will get better. It's a young line for Duke. Where What Florida State was throwing out there and what ODU was doing and not giving Josh any time. So Willis, maybe that factored into him playing a little better. The O-line raised their level of play after last week. Keene, Kuma, and Hazleton were all the big gainers. All over 65 yards on the day and some great plays in there by all three. The running game took a little bit of a step back, just two yards per carry as a team. Uh, they got in our backfield a little bit. We did get Wheatley back. He only had the two carries. But some of that jet sweep motion action did seem to help on a few plays. Although, Sean Savoy damn near got decapitated on a jet sweep oh, on one of the plays. so
1: bad. <laughs> the strangle play, which was not... And I, I couldn't tell if that was read option or not. Uh, I think it was. I think it was. And yeah. he was... He should have pulled that down. Willis should have kept that ball. <laughs> yeah, he, he it was very killed. obvious, yeah.
0: Uh, but back to the offense real quick. Uh, we were 8 of 19 on third and fourth down, so much more efficient on those downs that you were just talking about to keep drives alive. And you could tell that throughout the game. It helped us control the game, something we failed to do against Old Dominion because we couldn't stay on the field.
1: Yeah, I think um, the, the only other thing, I think the passes on – Downfield, even when they were off, um, generally he kept them a little bit deep, which which is where you want to be, right? I mean, the the worst case scenario yeah. You know, so there were a couple passes that were off by just kind of you know a foot or two, but right where you would want them. Like you're not looking for perfect accuracy this early in somebody's kind of starting a career for for the program. So I thought where he was missing on some of those was actually
0: in the right place. At least earlier in the first half
1: was where I kind of spotted that.
0: Yeah, we want to just nitpick a couple more things before we move over to the defense. There were back-to-back series in that third quarter, which included the one we were just talking about with Savoy, that were just a complete mess. We had a busted snap. We had the Savoy play. We had the one where Willis turned to hand it off, and the running back wasn't there. Yeah, he, turned the, <laughs> he turned the
1: wrong direction. So he turned right, and the running back it was to the left. So that was yeah. not great
0: that those two series were just a complete mess and then we came back after that and got another touchdown. So there were some touch and go points in the game and French's latest article pointed out sometimes when Willis made that bad read including the jet sweep play and a couple other ones where if he had given it to the running back like there was all this running room and he kept it and got taken down like a yard past the line of scrimmage. So with the read option and RPO type stuff, you're always you know, I, at the mercy of your reads. And it can be a huge play or it can be a negative play, and it depends on whether you're reading the defense correctly and just that that last second, like, yeah, I should give it away. And that, that comes with time.
1: Yeah, I I wouldn't expect him to get everything perfect in a game like that. But I, I think my other takeaway from the offense is I'm getting really bullish on the Kuma-Grimsley-Hazelton combo between the three of them. I think they are... A lot of effective weapons. Grimsley's really, really fast. Hazleton's really, really physical. Kuma's pretty physical as well. Uh, I, I think those three, and there's there's plenty of other, you know, we've had passes to Peoples, we've had passes. Savoy still gets in there, et cetera. But between those three, I think they give uh, Ryan Willis a really good opportunity to succeed this year and, and have a lot of good options in the past game.
0: Yeah, I could not be more excited about those guys. And You throw in Keene and you throw in Patterson mm-hmm. and even Savoy himself, who has a touchdown catch this year. We've got seven guys, like seven valuable receivers. That's not counting Cunningham either. So there are a lot of options for Willis to throw to. He's got a little bit more zip on his ball than Josh does. And for those out routes or those those middle-tier throws, that can be really valuable. I like what I saw. There's corrections to be made, but I think all of Hokie nation is pretty excited about it. The defense was solid all night long, only 14 points given up 4.4 yards per play was all Duke was able to muster. That's pretty damn good. And only 71 rushing yards uh, for Duke.
1: Well, we Great only had, we only had 81 though. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so true. Both of us averaged two yards per carry.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I agree. I, I thought that, um, Uh, I I was surprised they put Daniel Jones. We talked about that. I thought he played pretty well for somebody coming off an injury. Um, You know, 23 for 35, a TD, an interception, 226. Those are not mind-blowing stats in any you know shape, but for somebody coming off of an injury uh, like that. But I think it also speaks volumes to the way that this defense came out, and they had something to prove, and I think they did. I thought um, Chris Taylor, for them, the five receptions, 58 yards, played really well. Jonathan Lloyd played uh, pretty well for them. Um, I'm, a, I'm a little bit worried, uh, and not to lead in too much, I'm still a little bit worried about our secondary, although I think they played so much better um, on the deep balls. Anything that was 20 yards or beyond, they looked like they finally had their act together in terms of coverage on it, and that really jumped off the page. Um, for me, when I rewatched, um, uh, the game in terms of, um, uh, you know, what their receivers and what, uh, what Daniel Jones was able to do.
0: Oh, they were so much better. And Quillen in particular had a great game. Watts, I think had a pretty good game, but they were really helped by the fact that we were getting pressure sometimes with a three man front on those passing downs for Duke. Walking one of the defensive ends off the line consistently and getting pressure and stuffing runs with three-man fronts was a huge difference. That's another thing French talked about in the article and just the way the ends or the nose tackles were able to eat up blocks. And it changed everything for the linebackers. I mean, Rashard Ashby had 15 tackles in this game. That is an amazing amount of tackles. He was great all all night, all night long. He was fantastic.
1: There should have been an extra probably there should have been an extra fumble recovery and probably two extra interceptions in that game. And both two of those, I think were Ashby. Um, he played fantastic in that game. And I, I, I think do mixing up the three man and the four man front. Uh, I think that's a little bit of gamemanship uh, on Bud Foster. I think he knows that we may not have the talent that we ne- might have in any other year. So he's using scheme right now to try and, you know, confuse the quarterback and, and Karen confused the offensive line. And it worked. It worked perfectly because he would, he literally was switching from four to three to three to four throughout the entire game. Um, I, but I, I, I do want to give credit to the defensive backs because there were at least four passes that given the same, you know, pressure, everything, I honestly thought they were off by like, you know, a half an inch from being touchdowns or like long passes. And, Instead of you know just getting busted, whether it was Watts, whoever and Quellen, and who we had back there, uh, I thought they did a really nice job. and Farley even did, did a, a much better job, I thought, in in defensive um, performance in this game. So I, I do want to give a lot of credit to them because they, they were <laughs> they were the ones that took the most heat after that ODU game, I think by far and to bounce back and have a good scheme. And that's not to say that they didn't complete some good passes and some stuff downfield, but for the most part, they limited the damaging passes, the ones that really could have uh, opened things up.
0: Reggie Floyd had eight tackles, two and a half tackles for loss. And that interception off the deflection by Ladler, he was good. He had another pass breakup. Gaines had a fantastic game too. two and a half sacks. Walker, five tackles, half a sack and a tackle for loss. There were a lot of standout performances. Those guys took it personally last week. You you could tell. The defense as a whole played so much better and the fact that we didn't have Hill anymore, I thought Belmar Garbit, the guys that had to step in and play, they did a pretty good job. Yeah, and actually that
1: reminds me Gaines just lost his mother um, this week, so that was one thing that we didn't
0: hit in the news and notes. But I, I just, it just made me yeah, remember. So, um, uh, yeah, terribly sad. And on the heels of Caleb Farley losing his mother over last winter, um, that's that's tough. We had Sean Savoy lost his brother last year. This team has gone through a lot. I think there's a good support system for this type of thing uh, within the program, uh, and it's incredibly sad. She was a young woman by all accounts, and um, a lot of the guys have tweeted out you know, praying for him and that kind of stuff. So it seems like there's a good support system in place, and heart goes out to how Sean Gaines because that is just brutal. Let's move forward with just a couple final thoughts on the game before we do a beer break and move to Notre Dame. I think Diablo coming back was really big for the defense. It allowed Ladler to go back to whip – where he is clearly better and the whole thing just worked so much more efficiently than last week. And I, like I said, they were embarrassed. They stepped up and on the offense guys made plays like that to me is the thing that from last year to this year, where are we going to see guys make a guy miss, just make a play. And Keen did that. He, he made McDuffie miss and then he stiff armed another guy and then he sprinted to the end zone. Turner made an incredible catch. Patterson made an incredible catch. Like these are the types of things that are the differences in games and we're doing them this year. And the only people that could do it last year, it was Cam Phillips and on occasion, Sean Savoy. Yeah. And we're, if there's more people contributing. You're a
1: hundred percent, right? I think, um, cause we're going to be transitioning here to the Notre Dame preview. I, I came away and I watched all of this game as detailed as I could There were just a lot of instances. I felt it during my initial watch and after watching it again. There's no doubt the effort that got put in, but there were a lot of things that could have changed this game around. Uh, You had TJ Ramming going down the sideline. He steps out. That was going to be a touchdown taken to the house. They end up kicking a field goal. A couple of those passes, uh, you know, those were the passes that ODU players made, the the catches that they made to change the score around. So – while it felt like a comfortable win based on the box score, when you go back, there wasn't that much on the opposite side. We had a lot of things go our way is the best way to put it and as the opposite. So um, I, I don't bring that up to discredit anything that any of the players did because I think it's more spread around. I think we have more people contributing. I think we have a bit of a chip on our shoulder and we're ready to go kind of take on who we have to take on in the ACC slate. But I think the game was a lot closer um, with a few steps in a different direction than maybe the box score showed up. And so as we're getting ready to preview Notre Dame, I think we just got to be mindful of, of what we saw in the field. And that's not to take anything away from the, the team. It's just understanding just like turnover margin is something that Bill C. always puts in. Like things tend to bounce back and forth and you got to you got to you know stay on every play. And, um, that's what I ended up taking away from this game was an exceptional bounce back from Virginia attack, but understanding it could have been a lot closer game.
0: It could have been, I felt like we controlled it, but to your point, we have nine fumbles this year and we've only lost one. And that's the type of thing that eventually evens out. So let's clean it up. No more bad snaps, get the mesh point figured out. Because we can't afford to keep putting it on the ground, because we're going to start losing these fumbles.
1: Look at what happened to Miami last year. They were like they were like plus eight in turnover margin, and they lost their last four games, and things all the turnover chain. Let's just say turned into the the opponent's turnover chain, um, and that's when things go real bad. So I, I think we need to clean some stuff up. But I, I'm really proud of the team and the way that they played.
0: All right, let's take a quick beer break before we move to Notre Dame. Robbie, what are you drinking? So I am drinking
1: <laughs> the Citra Ass Down. So um, a, a nice play on words. Uh, I like that. Yeah, against the Grain Brewery in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. It's an 8.2% or one pint. Um you should drink it at exactly forty-eight degrees. Uh, I'm not drinking at forty-eight degrees, <laughs> given how uh, how long it took us to get this kicked off tonight. So, it's a it's a good I double IPA. I like it. I haven't had uh, this uh, brewery against the grain before. I don't know if it's new or not, but it's a it's a pretty good beer. I would give it a, kind of a medium rating on the double IPAs that I've had. How about you?
0: I'm drinking. Regulators IPA. This is from the Laramie Brew Company and obviously Regulators is a well-known song by Nate Dogg and Warren G and on the side of the can it says Regulators Mount Up brought to you by the LBC dank on a whole new level. <laughs> the Laramie Beer Company is from the from Denver, Colorado. 6.6% alcohol is this IPA and it's pretty good. I've never heard of the Laramie Beer Company but They've got a very cool can. The IPA was right in my wheelhouse at that six point six percent. It's a little fruity. It's pretty light for being six point six. I would. It's kind of like a Goose Island in that regard. It's kind of a lighter IPA, but uh, better than Goose Island IPA. And I mean, when it's called Regulators, you have to buy it. <laughs> you you do know one of the like
1: my favorite thing that most people don't know cuz I love the movie so much but that whole speech is from Young Guns the movie yes, yes. I know. so that's my that's my best thing with with Emil- listen to this Emilio Estevez Keith Sull- Sullivan, Lou Diamond Phillips Charlie Sheen and that's probably where it starts to fall off a little bit,
0: but that's <laughs> no—it's a star-studded cast.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. Um, you get that many people in uh, in a movie. It reminds me of The Outsiders, which if you ever go back and and look at the lineup, the I Outs- just
0: watched that like three months ago.
1: <laughs> they have they have like seven of the biggest like eight actors: uh, Tom Cruise and <laughs> Swayze and everybody. It's, it's
0: got tons of people in it. Yeah. All right, Notre Dame. 8 o'clock, Saturday night on ABC. Notre Dame is really good this year. They're number 6, they're 5-0, and and they're ninth in the S&P Plus. Wins over Michigan, Vanderbilt, Wake, and Stanford, and also Ball State, which <laughs> that game wasn't so good for them, but that was before they had a new quarterback. Ian Book started the games first, Wake and Stanford, and I think you watched a good amount of at least – one of those games and yeah he looks really, really good. <laughs> yeah. So Ian Book has
1: been um uh, an exciting change of pace. Let's be nice about how we're gonna characterize this. He's fifty two for seventy, which is seventy four percent completion percentage. He has the accuracy down the field. I was watching film this afternoon of him and the the guy can just put the ball on point. He has seven TDs so far since becoming the, the starting quarterback, zero interceptions. Um, and Wimbush was one touchdown to four interceptions in those early games. Uh, from the film that I saw, he's got a a pretty strong arm, but I think his accuracy is really just on point and really kind of jumped off the screen for me when I, when I watched it. So, uh, I would love to have, um, Brandon Wimbush being the starting quarterback again, but unfortunately it looks like we're gonna be seeing Ian Book, and uh I have a feeling they're gonna be playing him for the rest of the year.
0: Yeah, the way he moves around in the pocket too, to buy more time or to just run for the first down is really impressive. It's it's LaRusa-esque, let's put it that way. <laughs> he 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 really does look very good. It's shocking that he couldn't win the starting job. In the offseason. Now, this could be a little bit of fool's gold. It's only been two games, but like you said, seven touchdowns in those two games, 26 carries for 87 yards, and three more rushing touchdowns, an 82.1 QBR, which is really good. Again, a small sample size like Willis, but it's a very good efficiency metric for that short period of time. I'm scared. Watching that Stanford game, the way he was running, stopping, and throwing like a shortstop into the end zone. It was really impressive, and it gives them a completely new dimension. He took them down the field in like a two minute drill right before the half and just to the sideline to miles Boykin again and again, just tremendous out pattern throws hes they've got the the wide receivers and the running backs to add to it. It's gonna be a really, really tough game. We'll get into some of the narrative stuff later, but let's let's finish talking about some of these other players on offense,
1: yeah, so Dexter Williams is. Um. Well, let's let, we'll go Miles Boykin because uh, he resumes his elite status with eleven receptions for 144 yards and touchdown, and his body control and his ability to get open is very Isaiah Ford esque. Only, only bigger and can do more after he catches catches the ball. Um. I would I would say he's a blend of Ford's body control with Cam Phillips's ability to that he showed last year, not all the time. To do stuff after he catches, which that's scary to mix those two. And then
0: Jared Boykin's body. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he's enormous. Yeah.
1: He is, he is utterly fantastic. And that's not the only, you know, weapons that they have. They have weapons all over the field. They're just getting shadowed. I, I mean, Cole Komet is a tall, scary tight end. I know he didn't do a lot in the Stanford game. He only had the one kind of big catch, but. Um, the Notre Dame loves rolling out the big, huge, uh, tight ends just to make your life a, a, a nightmare. Uh, I think they have weapons all over this backfield, and, um, he, in my mind, we'll get into Dexter and what he can do as well. But in my mind, what this offensive from a passing scheme can do against our
0: defense is frightening. <laughs> I know because Boykin's huge. Chase Claypool pool is just as big. He's six four, two twenty nine. I have Boykin at six four two twenty eight, so they're essentially just the same size and enormous. Chris Fink is your smaller possession receiver, but if you remember in the Michigan game, he had that deep catch in the end zone. The one touchdown pass, I guess, that Wimbush threw went to Chris Fink, and he's got 16 receptions and 172 yards on the year. Boykin's numbers are tremendous. that He's definitely the number one threat, but... Again, at tight end, you've got Alizé Mack, who had a great game against Stanford. He's got a touchdown and 13 receptions on the year. A lot of pass catchers for him to go to, just like we have. Uh, Book has a lot of of options. Dexter Williams is coming off a four-game suspension, so his first game back was Stanford. 26 carries for 161 yards in his first game back. Williams is just a different talent level when it comes to Tony Jones Jr. and Jafar Armstrong. Now, Jafar and Tony are both young, but Dexter is just a step up in shiftiness and quickness and talent. And it was evident in that Stanford game. As soon as he came on the field, it was like electric. So we didn't know how deep they were going to be because none of these guys were super proven and we knew Williams was out for a few games and we didn't know how he'd come back and adjust. Well, he came back and adjusted just fine. And these receivers have taken to this new quarterback that's playing. And right now it looks really, really tough, especially for the matchup we're putting on the field at DB. Yeah, I I am super scared. I
1: I think Foster might go back and this could be, a disaster for us and go back and leave it on the defensive backs to try and make plays and contain these guys. And that's going to be really tough um, because if you, you've got to pick one or the other with this team. I mean, the talent is just so off the charts for what, what they're putting out on the field right now. He's going to have to choose one or the other. And it always seems like when that kind of situation arises, bud usually just, you know, stuffs the line and then, you know, leaves it, leaves it to the defensive backs to try and do the best they can.
0: We'll see in years past though, when we've played the Julio Jones of the world, we've done some good things with bracket coverage and playing a little bit more zone, which we had done a little bit. We showed a little bit of zone against Duke. It didn't always work out. well. And
1: ODU, which didn't work out well. <laughs> yeah.
0: And ODU. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what Bud's going to do. I know he's going to throw something different at book to try to knock him off his game because he's flying high right now. One thing working on our favor is injury luck. Notre Dame lost their best offensive lineman to injury in the last game. Their starting left guard and team captain, Alex Bars, is done for the year. And their offensive line was doing well, not exceedingly well. They're 62nd in tackles for loss allowed, which is right in the middle of the country and just under two sacks per game, which is 60th, 75th in yards per carry. So they weren't an exceptional offensive line, and they just lost their best player. Their quarterback helps that out because he can scramble. But two more injuries in the running back core to Tony Jones Jr. and Jafar Armstrong. Jafar is not going to play. Tony Jones Jr. has an ankle thing. He'll probably play, but a lot's going to be put on Dexter, and we're going to see what happens with the backups set offensive line and how they play against Ricky Walker, Hewitt, Gaines, and a very fierce Virginia Tech defensive line. Make no mistake, despite Tim Settle leaving and Hill leaving, this is a experienced and very good defensive line. And every week, Vinnie Mahota gets a little bit more healthy. And every week, Portcher plays more snaps. Hewitt plays more snaps. This is a tough test for that Notre Dame offensive line. Yeah, I I agree with all that.
1: Um, the only thing that comes to mind for me, which I haven't actually looked into, because it just it literally just popped up. I don't know if Gaines gonna play, um, the, given the timeline. Yeah. So that I am yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I think he'll play. Yeah, I I, I, just I would think, think it's so, be... but I think it. Might that might yeah. be something to keep on your radar, and that, that is I, uh, yeah that is nothing to do with him. He can do whatever the hell he 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 feels most be- you know, best about. Um, but that's yeah. the only thing that I hadn't really thought about. I hadn't heard anything about, and I'm not sure the beat writers have really
0: wanted to ask the question. Um, just yet. No, um, it's not appropriate. Yeah, I, I just think he's gonna play. I'm just yeah. it's a guess, yeah. but reading not tea leaves, but tweet leaves yeah. of, like, everything's for her now. Yeah. I, I, you see that kind of thing. You see guys that want to take their mind off of the pain by playing. Savoy did it, mm-hmm. and it's it's in sports, you know, the legendary Brett Favre game after his father died and all yeah. that stuff. Guys tend to want to play after tragedy. Yeah. We'll see. If he doesn't play, that's fine, too. That's – But it's still a good defensive front for the Hokies that is going to test Notre Dame for sure. Yeah. Um, let's move over to their defense and then give our our final thoughts. This defense is even better than their offense. It's it's actually quite a bit better if you want to go by S&P. It's 5th in the S&P+ Plus and 18th in yards per play as a defense. They're slightly better against the pass if you want to go by opposing QB rating, but they're great against both the run and the pass. And it starts up front for them just like it does for us. With Jerry Tillery at defensive tackle, he had four sacks against Stanford.
1: Yeah, and like a bunch of QB hurry two QB hurries I think, and now I'm just going in to- like a couple pressures. It, it was uh, it was something to behold to see him in that backfield. So um, he is
0: uh, a pretty exceptional talent to say the least. <laughs> they also have another senior defensive tackle in Bonner, defensive end Okwara. 4.5 tackles for loss for him. And another defensive end on the other side, Kareem, has four and a half tackles for loss as well. So they're spreading around the production. No guy is really standing out except for Tillery. But everyone's playing at a pretty high level. And if you add up all those tackles for loss, like they're really putting pressure on quarterbacks and running backs in the backfield. The linebackers are no worse. They are also really, really good. Devon Coney leading the team in tackles. Drew Tranquil is crazy. Like, he's a crazy beast. That guy is everywhere on the field. 29 solo tackles for him in the five games so far. I think he even broke his hand in the Stanford game and stayed in, and mm-hmm. he's going to play against Tech. I just, he's just going to be wrapped up or whatever. But Tranquil and Coney are killers at linebacker. Yeah. And then Bilal's no slouch either. So it's, uh it's, it's going to be tough sledding against that front seven.
1: I know the Stanford cuz Stanford lost Bryce Love at some point in the the game. I think it was like the third quarter or something along those lines that he went out. But um five sacks, nine tackles for a loss, eight pass breakups, picked off a pass and then uh four quarterback hits. So um it and that's that Stanford team always puts out a pretty decent o-line. So I uh, I was um I was utterly impressed watching the film on them. I'm I'm am more scared about the offense than I am the defense not to take anything away from how exceptional this defense is, but uh in that game in particular knowing how good Stanford usually is up front in the run game and seeing that being swallowed up by uh this defense was
0: was quite staggering. And then there's their DBs which are you know, all American caliber for some of them. Julian love is tremendous. 10 pass breakups in five games. He had 20 last year, which I thought was a crazy number, but now he's on pace to eclipse that safeties, Elliot and Gillum. They're awesome. Both a ton of tackles, a lot of production and Troy pride jr. Was kind of a question mark coming into the year. He's got five pass breakups of his own and 22 solo tackles. Every cornerback and safety Came back from last year, except for Nick Watkins. So it's deep, it's experienced. Some of the younger guys and Troy Bright Jr. are now playing really well. It's a problem. There are nine to ten, like really top-notch players on this defense, and there's only eleven guys on the field. So you get my point. Like, it's a dominant group. Yeah, I I totally agree. I'm just wondering. I I come back to
1: what. I, I, the run game for Stanford, I know is good. Uh, Michigan. I don't know what we have there. I, I go through wake forest, their past game. Yeah, you're thinking a, about their opponents yeah, and, and what they've faced. Yeah. And what they've faced in terms of it. And that's what, um, wake forest defense is pretty good. Michigan's is elite. Stanford usually puts out a good defense. So when I think about who they've played already, I try and think about which side of the ball is going to be more difficult. Both of them are going to be ridiculously hard for us. Um, I gravitate towards the fact that they they handled Michigan's defense. Nobody, I think, has any um, uh, concerns about that. Last they
0: handled them for a quarter. Yes. and then Michigan really clamped down.
1: Yeah, um, so that they, they did, they clamped down. But that, but that was that, also not booked. They're also the, one of the top <laughs> defenses yeah. in the in the in the country, I think, by all stats. So I I totally hear you. I think that they are exceptional. Um. And I don't know where to attack it. I'm I that that's even more troubling, I think, than anything else. The fact that the the run game for us took a step back uh, this past week, not to say that's going to happen in the future, and then the pass game moved forward, but their DBs are so good, um, we're we're in a bit of a bind here on what <laughs> our strategy is yeah. going
0: to be. We kind of knew that against Duke too. We knew the running game wasn't going to be as good with the linebackers and the deeper line that duke had and it came to be the problem with notre dame is there's no one to pick on it's not like they have weak dbs that we can go pick on points are going to be at a premium we i think we all are know that with this defense but i will say i don't think they faced an offense as good as ours and i know that that sounds pretty cocky because virginia tech's historically not a great offense but if you just want to go by efficiency metrics i mean we're we're 21st in yards per play we're uh, number 30 in smp plus offense yeah. it's better than anyone on their schedule so far so that's all we have to go off of and it might test them in ways they haven't been tested and is inflating some of their defensive numbers above where they should be i agree still gonna be brutal <laughs> It's gonna to be tough. I'm, you know, this is what we do though. Like we have to put out. I mean, can you believe that we're 21st in yards per play? Though, I know we've only played four games, but there haven't been four easy games. You got three road games and just one home game against an FCS team. So it probably evens out to a moderately difficult schedule. The offense looks and, better
1: than I've seen it in a long time. And long when time. the when the rush game is bad. The the pass has picked it up, and when the pass game has been bad, the rush has picked it up, and that's what you come. A balanced offense can change a lot of problems that you get elsewhere, um, and whether that's offensive line or if that's on the defense or if it's on the defensive backs. Um, and unfortunately, you know, even in the ODU game, the offense still put up massive numbers, but the defense fell flat on its face. And um, that's what we
0: need is is balance. And that's what you're always going for. Just to finish out Notre Dame, their special teams are 53rd in the S&P Plus, and we are number two. So there could be just a little something there, a little bit of an advantage in hidden yardage and maybe a return or some field goals. That's a plus for us as well. Let's take a beer break before we do final thoughts and picks. So... Pete, what are you having this week? I'm having the Joe IPA, another IPA for me. Like I said last week, I had to stop doing the Oktoberfest because it caused the bad luck going at the ODU. (laughs) I did Heart of Darkness, and now I've done two IPAs this week. And this one is excellent. This is from Bend, Oregon, 10 Barrel Brewing Company. I don't think I've ever had anything from 10 Barrel, but Bend is where Deschutes is, correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think that's right,
0: actually. And this Joe IPA is 6.9% alcohol. I don't know why it's called Joe IPA. It's very light and it says on the bottle, drink beer outside. So I like that. I'm going to drink a lot of beer outside this upcoming weekend and I can't wait down in Blacksburg. Um, I felt it was appropriate. The Joe IPA by 10 barrel brewing, I would recommend it. What are you drinking?
1: Wait, you're going to be in Blacksburg? I'm going to be in Blacksburg.
0: Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah.
1: So uh, I'm drinking partly cloudy. It is uh, from Saul's Brewing, and it is right down the street from me, not too far, in Sterling, Virginia. They've been an uh, up-and-coming brewery that I've enjoyed very much. It's an uh, IPA. I know you all are surprised. Well, too bad. I'm going with another one. We're doing a celebration week, so uh, I'm going to have the good stuff, and...
0: Uh, it looks great. The can looks amazing.
1: Yeah, they got they got nice designs, and they just started um, putting out some of, uh, canning some of their better beers, um, and just even any of their beers. And normally they're on like some of the taps around the area, but this one is delicious. It's a great beer. It's seven point five percent, and it's delicious. So I would highly recommend it if you uh, if you're in the area. You probably can't get it on distribution outside of the area, but yeah, it's very good
0: solace brewing
1: yeah s-o-l-a-c-e it could be if we had a hyphen or something we, we could go Salake uh brewing company i don't <laughs> think they would appreciate that but.
0: i just couldn't i couldn't say, hear understand if you said like sol's brewery like better call sol <laughs> <laughs> like i so yeah it's solace yeah yeah i gotcha so overall thoughts the scoring under ian book as we've emphasized has been much better for notre dame But I believe that Bud will definitely put some unique looks out there that will stifle him a bit. But that playmaking ability he has is just – it's not something that uh, every quarterback in college football can do. I've been very impressed with him.
1: Yeah, I think he uh, is a tremendous upgrade from Wimbush. I think Wimbush was kind of holding them back a little bit and – I don't like saying that, but I think it's the just the truth of how I you know kind of look mm-hmm. at the offense and Notre Dame with a dangerous offense is a dangerous program i mean every the defense is usually not that um not that tough for them to come by their offensive line is usually pretty good getting a good quarterback um and the, mixing the quarterback with the wide receivers uh tight ends they're usually pretty sound at uh, becomes a very dangerous situation, uh, especially when you have, um, you know, Dexter Williams at running back as well. That's coming back off of uh, four
0: games. They always seem to have the running backs and the tight ends. You're right. It's it's the fact that they have this potentially premier quarterback and very big athletic and strong mm-hmm. wide receivers. That's the difference with this Notre Dame team um, that we maybe haven't seen since Michael Floyd was there and that kind of thing. I think we could hold them to 27 or 28 points, and we kind of have to. I, don't, I think if we let them get to 30, I don't think we can win the game. And our offense is going to have to play their absolute best. This is like Michael Brewer in the horseshoe play level that we're going to have to get out of Willis, and that's not going to be easy. That was kind of... Once in a lifetime type play. Now we're at home, so it could be a little bit easier. Yeah, but but we need good
1: protection. Michael Brewer also <laughs> broke his collarbone at home against Ohio State, so <laughs> we also can't yeah. have that. And that we were we were winning that game. So uh
0: we were winning at the half when he uh when he disappeared there. Um yeah, we we just need the offensive line to play just as good as they played against Duke, but we need every level at full effort. Like the blocking on the outside we we can't have the wide receivers, you know, stopping in their stands. We need everyone running through their feet with the blocks. We need the running backs making the right decisions, the right cuts, stiff arms. Like things need to go as well as they possibly can go. And Bud needs to draw up some magic. I mean, that's the only way that we can really win this game. It's a six and a half point line. It's been growing. the The public is something we have going in our favor. I think is. The articles about Notre Dame going to the playoff and going undefeated are coming out in droves this week, and it could make me no happier than to see that. You have to love that as a Virginia Tech fan.
1: Every article is that that it's a clear walk to the playoff. Which, if you go, (laughs) you know, take any one of these teams, look at what Syracuse almost just did to Clemson. You take what you know Wake Forest has done to teams. Forget Virginia Tech for a second. The fact that those articles are so stupid, it's unbelievable to say that about any program that you have a clear walk um, in. Yeah, okay, good luck. Yeah, you still have six more games left. So, um, you know, there's. it may not be us, but somebody's going to give them a challenge. So, But I think the narrative is good for our players. I think that um, we're going to have to do something amazing. I would not be surprised... In every one of these big games, Fuente usually pulls out kind of uh, some of his special plays, whether it's the pop pass or to to Rodgers or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, the, the revert, he's going to have something on his sleeve because we have nothing to lose in this game, zero. And other than getting blown out, and that would be bad. That people are already expecting us to lose the only thing if you could do is keep it close and when we walked out of that Clemson game in the in the conference championship people had more respect for Virginia Tech than they did have going in um, and that was only because we kept it close so Fuente should feel a lot of uh, uh, a lot of confidence to be able to put something out on the field and then also take his shots. Right. And if it backfires, oh, well, nobody's going to be judging him on this game. I don't think, you know, we'll be upset, but nobody's going to be going for his head or anything. Like it would just be, you know, assumed that we were going to lose.
0: I just have this feeling we're going to see some of the best play out of both teams. We're just going to see two teams playing at a very high level, something that we thought we would see last year when Virginia Tech played Clemson. I don't think anyone thought the Clemson game was gonna go quite like it did for Virginia Tech. We were never really in that game. We we were always down and we scored a couple like maybe a touchdown or two late or something, but we were never in the game. We it never was the threat that we were gonna win that game. This will be different. I really think we're gonna play at a very high level, and I don't think Notre Dame is gonna to fall too much victim to this narrative that they're going to the playoff coming down from playing Stanford is going to cause them a problem, period. Forget the going to the playoff thing. They just got a huge win against a tough team, a physical team. They had several guys get hurt in the game. The Stanford body blow is something that's uh, not a proven theory, but it's something that's well-known in college football, that teams don't play well the week they play after Stanford. And I would argue that getting Stanford the week after they had to play at Oregon in an extremely emotional game, was best-case scenario for Notre Dame to look amazing. So there's a few things going in Virginia Tech's favor there. I think it is a classic upset spot. Like Just based on the articles, based on them getting that big win, us already getting our serving of humble pie last week, getting focused against Duke, and now a huge home game that no one's going to lose focus for. We can definitely win this game. I I'm going to take us to cover the six and a half when it was at four and a half. I might've been a little bit on the fence. I was feeling really good about a win a couple days ago. And then I watched some more of Notre Dame tape and got scared, but I still think we can win the game. And it's not always about X's and O's and it's not always about Jimmy's and Joe's. It's about motivation. And I think we have all the motivation in the world and they might have just a little bit less.
1: And I think that they have less tape on Ryan Willis than we maybe have on on them. I think that, and quite frankly, they have less tape on everybody that's on our team because we're basically rolling out a bunch of freshmen and sophomores (laughs) like we have been all season. So you may think you have a lot of tape. You don't really have a lot on this Virginia Tech team other than the offensive line. The offensive line, you kind of know what you're getting with Virginia Tech, but otherwise... That would be the other kind of advantage i think we're we're putting out there is it's a it's a young team or transfers in or and two of our best players quite frankly on offense are both transfers and they're, they're not virginia Tech players um as in coming in from the beginning
0: i know that you feel kind of good about this win though too what do you think about this line six and a half uh i thought the line no,
1: What's the best way to put this? I thought the line would be bigger. Uh, I still feel equally as good about the uh, uh, upset, so I actually feel pretty good. I'm gonna end up betting the money line on this. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm not.
0: I love it. I I love it, man. And I with the payoff, which would be
1: it's two to one. I just put it in. So if I bet
0: plus two fifty, what is it? Uh, it's two plus two hundred. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, I, I like it. And and like I said, this is not going to go like Clemson to me. This It feels way different to me. Um, I was optimistic against Clemson. We lacked playmakers. We had Cam Phillips, and then he got hurt in the first few minutes of that game, and it was done. We have guys who can make plays out there. The offensive line is better than last year. I feel good about the upset prospects. If I had to put a percentage on it, which doesn't mean anything. I'd say it's like forty percent. Yeah, it's like a forty percent chance of an upset. Yeah, which, um, but I think it's. I think
1: know. it's. I would put it at like eighty percent of it being a pretty good game, and a twenty percent chance. Oh, yeah, yeah, a twenty percent chance, ninety percent of it being. Yeah, twenty percent chance that we just get, you know, our shoes blown off right away. <laughs> <laughs>
0: which we've been there for that too. We all remember Miami <laughs> from, uh, what twenty fourteen. I'm not exactly sure yeah, when it was, it was. but uh, it got ugly. Um, yeah let's move on to do our other picks and then we'll sign off the next game is very uninspiring Georgia Tech at Louisville Georgia Tech is four point favorites over the putrid Louisville Cardinals who just blew it against Florida State they really should have won that game but I'm glad they didn't because it makes Florida State look just a little bit better uh, I'm gonna take Georgia Tech yep. to cover those four points I don't feel particularly good because it's it's on the road, and Georgia Tech is—they're Georgia Tech. You don't know what you're going to get. Louisville, sucks, I'll take them to cover. It. I know, I know. I don't think Georgia Tech's any good either, though.
1: <laughs> I know. I think I I I agree with your point, but I think Georgia Tech has more talent than Louisville right now. I think they have more talent, so I'll just take the talent. And I know it's on the road, but I have to I have yeah. to go that direction.
0: Good luck with the next. Another. One. Um, yeah another road favorite Syracuse going to pit They are four point favorites man I was hoping they were going to pull off that upset over Clemson just for the fun of it it would have blown up the ACC's playoff chances it would have been gone uh,
1: the ACC <laughs> other than Miami
0: running the table or I us mean running Clemson the table. or Miami with one loss you, but it wouldn't have been good for the AC. it would have made us our conference look even more of a joke than it already looks uh Q's Four point favorites on the road. Who do you got? I uh, keeps played a really good
1: game against Clemson. I thought they amazing, game. yeah. I, I think, um, I think they're really starting to turn it around. The problem that I have is this is what Syracuse does. They blew, they beat us, and then they just come back the next week and shit the bed. They beat Clemson, they come back the next week right. and shit every single time. Um, Debo Babers gets them all amped up and then they just come off this huge letdown. So I'm going to go... And it's
0: Syracuse-Pitt. Like that's old school Big East. Yeah, like, I'm going to go Pitt. I don't like that game at all. Yeah, I'm going to go uh, Pitt. I'm going to go Cues because that's what makes sense. But it, college football tends to not make sense a lot. So <laughs> your your pick could uh could definitely come through. The next game equally as tough to pick. We got BC going to NC state. NC state entered the rankings 23 and they're four and a half point favorites over BC. I don't know what's happened to BC over the last two weeks. They did get the win against temple. Temple's not a terrible team. They've had a very weird season in their own right, but BC did lose to Purdue and in kind of an inexplicable way. I don't know what to do with this line, man. (laughs) Uh, This is four and a half Uh, is, yeah, this is
1: um whenever I just don't care, then I just threw in a dazio. Don't bet on this. I'm yeah. just gonna throw in a dazio. I don't I, I think NC State's actually a pretty good team, but um
0: they are pretty good. They are pretty yeah. good. Um I'm gonna take NC State. I, I had BC circled, but I think I'm gonna take NC State. Next game Clemson against Wake Forest in Winston Salem. This is number four Clemson. 17.5-point favorites over a week. I'm taking Clemson. Yeah, I
1: think um, the QB injury was kind of interesting. That kind of changed everything up. But uh, I'm still going to stick with Clemson. Uh, I agree with you. And uh, I have a lot of thoughts on the whole you know trevor lawrence you know everybody you know people leaving kelly bryant leaving uh, thoughts but i'll leave those for twitter when i'm yelling at people about them being wrong
0: next game florida state at miami the old rivalry number 17 miami is 13 point favorites in that rivalry game in some ways it doesn't seem like enough in some ways it seems like too much what do you think Um, I'm trying to remember
1: at what point Miami actually shit the bed last season. Like I, I, so they lost the last four games. So we still have a couple. No, it
0: was, it was the last three games. It was Pitt, the bowl game and Clemson, the ACC championship game. So it, it was after Notre Dame.
1: Okay. So 13 points, two touchdowns got rid of Rozier right now we're uh, on to what's his name uh, whatever their other quarterback is uh, and Rozier was absolutely terrible so I'm gonna go Miami here even though I kind of want to go FSU for like you know them finally getting their stuff together but I'm gonna go Miami
0: I'm gonna go Miami too I hey it's a, supposed to be a throw the records out kind of game but FSU just has played such uninspiring football. I'm going to go with Miami. Miami looked awesome against North Carolina. Offense and defense looked awesome with the new quarterback. Outside the ACC, we are going to the Texas State Fair. Texas and Oklahoma. Number 19, Texas against number 7, Oklahoma. Oklahoma getting eight points in a big rivalry game.
1: Isn't this supposed to be called the shootout? But we don't like to call it that.
0: Red, Yeah, the <laughs> Red River Shootout, which was called the Red, Red, Red River Rivalry. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is so easy to say. And everybody gets so um, pissed yeah. off when we call it uh, anything but that. Uh, Texas came out and finally has learned how to play football. It only took like the last eight years since they won a national championship to start being uh, competent. I'm going to go with Oklahoma by a lot. I'm going to say probably uh 14 points is what i'm gonna go with wow all all quarterback driven obviously
0: i was torn up about this yeah did you see the passer rating that kyler murray just put up it was a 330 he's like the, the highest passer rating in 20 years or something
1: he's insane um so yeah i'm i don't care if it's a rivalry game that he is he's pretty damn good
0: Texas has been on a roll. I'm taking Texas eight points. I'm taking Texas. I good luck with I'm all not, that. I'm not in love with it. I'm not know if I'll put any actual money on it, but I'm taking Texas. Last game LSU at Florida. LSU is number five. Florida is number twenty two after the win against Mississippi State. LSU two and a half point favorites. LSU done. LSU for me as well. Well, man, I'm super excited about blacksburg it, the place is going to be on fire i we we've said it about Ohio State in twenty fifteen we said it about Clemson last year when game day was coming, and if we hadn't screwed up against o d u game day would be coming to Blacksburg instead of you know going to Texas, Oklahoma, but Blacksburg is still going to be bonkers this weekend. I can't wait,
1: yeah, I'm super pumped, finally get to use my seats, so I'm excited about that, so' our first game was canceled, which now ECU uh has um now rescheduled you've
0: uh oh yeah so uh <laughs> they rescheduled with NC state and who knows what the talks were with Virginia Tech and this is based on the idea that NC state or ECU doesn't get into their championship game but you know what just screw them like screw ecU man like I'm I'm so done with that series. Like, if there wasn't a reason to cancel before, there's a reason to cancel it now. Like, you you can make the trip to NC State for a potential makeup game. Maybe Witt didn't want to do it. I don't know, but screw that school. I think the series is in serious jeopardy at this point.
1: Yeah, it doesn't sound like it went well uh, by the end of those conversations. So we'll see what ends up happening. But I always like getting you fired up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that pissed me off today. I, I mean, I, I just. I I don't want to play ECU anyway, but it's I want the twelfth game. You know, like I, I want a full season. I don't I don't want a, a, a shortened season. Maybe we'll pick up a different game. I don't know, but uh but yeah, that that it did annoy
1: me. Hey, WVU is available. I,
0: <laughs> Dude, that's I don't want to do that. I don't, I don't know if I want to do that this year. Will Greer versus RDBs. I don't think that's a good idea. Hey, if we're coming if last we're coming year, in undefeated,
1: year? then that puts us right into the. Uh, into the college football uh, playoff,
0: so yeah. What do you know? Uh, I uh, I want to leave last year lingering on West Virginia's tongue for a long time. That that win, I just wanted to like stand there and sit there and fester, just like the 2005 win did. Um. Anyway, two dvtcom dot com is a website. Robbie has been busting his ass getting those stats done for the site, so make sure to check those out. You can stream all of our podcasts, beers, see our picks record against one another. Robbie is currently beating me. We're getting closer to even, though, I think.
1: I think we just, after this, i got to pump it in right now, and uh, I think we're going to be tied, probably.
0: 2DVT at gmail.com. 2DVT on Twitter and on Instagram. And that's it. I think that's it. And until next time, when we're hopefully celebrating a win over Notre Dame, go Hokies.